0: This is episode 41 of the Landscape Photography Show, and in conversation today, I'm going to be talking with Guy Tal, and if you've never been introduced to Guy before, I want you to just put on your thinking caps real quick, because this conversation is filled with intellect, and if you're uncomfortable with that at all, trust me, no one was more outside of their comfort zone than I was. Guy is an incredibly intelligent and thoughtful photographer and I've really wanted to talk to him for a very long time now and our our conversation didn't disappoint. Not only was it intriguing for me to, to gain new ideas while we were talking. But also, have thought provoking questions come up in my mind as he was delivering his responses in real time. Number one, I mean, talking about diving deep and becoming obsessive about topics is something that rings true to me. And Guy does this too. You know, we talk about his current obsession with quantum physics. Does that have anything to do with photography? Well, possibly i don't i don't really know could it unlock different ideas that photographers can use moving forward i think you're going to find throughout our conversation different ways that we can think about the landscape and different ways we can think about the history of a place based on what we know through intellect and observation And, and one thing came to mind recently is after we had our conversation I read a quote that was once knowledge is available you can't hide and I think that was a really good quote for me after listening to our conversation while I was going back through and editing this is that once you know about something once an idea is planted in your mind and and you have the knowledge structure behind it is that you can't hide from the lack of knowledge anymore not only do we talk about some of guy's obsessive things that that he's interested in but we also talk about how color can produce responses in the human brain dating all the way back to when we first started on this earth And, and i think wherever you land in the belief of when life started where it started how it started i think the chemical foundations of our brain and how we respond to specific colors can be really useful for a lot of landscape photographers because we can then know what type of photograph creates a peaceful image what type of photograph creates a startling image or an image that makes us explore Longer, And I think taking these ideas from this conversation into the real world is something that's so applicable. I don't think I've had it in a podcast before. So let's jump into it. The landscape photography show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos so sit back relax and enjoy the show hey what's up guys we're here with guy tal i i, I kind of wanted to get started by hearing i'm sure you've described this several times to multiple people how you actually got started in photography
1: um sure uh, well it's a, it's been a kind of a long story probably about uh 30 years now, uh, when I was a teenager, I always was uh, kind of a solitary explorer, I always loved uh, natural places, and I'm I'm very much an introvert, so I would just wander off on my own, and uh, then one day, for uh, reasons I don't even remember, I just borrowed my dad's camera, and I took it out with me and uh, shot a roll of film, for those that uh, still remember that experience, and uh, not a single (laughs) exposure on that roll actually turned out. But uh, the experience of photography and just being able to to look at things very deliberately and to frame them and to think of creative ways to to arrange things that that to me was just addictive. And so I just started doing it as a matter of course every time I went out. Um, so that's about how I got started. And you know, originally, uh, it was really more about mostly documenting the things that fascinated me. You know I was kind of this nature child. I was like, you know bugs and flowers and trees and discovering all kinds of little things. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, and so those are the things that I like to photograph at the time. Uh, and then uh, fast forward, <laughs> however long you want—10, 20 years—I I just uh, I kind of had enough of that kind of photography. Uh, it became so ubiquitous, uh, and so you know, kind of phoning it in. It was just not exciting and I get bored very quickly. So I started looking at what other people were doing with photography and I discovered, you know, what most people might consider as fine art photography as as creative photography. And that really fascinated me. And, uh, I'm, I'm very much a book learner. So I just started reading pretty much everything I could find, uh, just to give you a context, you know, for the first at least 10 years of my photography, I couldn't tell you who Ansel Adams was. I didn't know any other photographers. Mm-hmm. I just did it solely completely for the joy of doing it. Um, and so I got to know a lot about uh, some of the, some of the lines of photography, some of the theories and philosophies about photography, some of the reasons that other people photographed, some of the experiences that they had when they photographed. Uh, and that for me, being being bored quickly with things that, kind of stuck, which is very unusual. So other than my love of, uh, of nature, uh, photography has been uh, probably one of the most persistent threads in my life. You know, I grew up in Israel. Uh, it's been a very long, very convoluted, very odd journey to get to where I am. But uh, photography has been there for most of it. And that's very unusual to me.
0: Do you think being an introvert has kind of helped you in, in photography?
1: Um, I think in a, in a greater sense, yeah, because I mean, it's, it's part of my personality and, uh, <clears throat> what I would call my, my serious work in photography, I've always wanted to be self expressive. And so expressing myself meant pretty much expressing or playing into my introverted tendency of just wanting to wander off on my own and look at things very, very carefully and, you know, get into these meditative states of mind, which I was doing even as a young child. So I would say that it's definitely conducive to the kind of photography that I do definitely.
0: Yeah, I was reading your website before we jumped on and and I love how you say, you know, you're not really a photographer, you're more of an artist focusing on the medium that is photography. I was just wondering why separate out the two artist and photographer?
1: Uh, well, for as long as I've been doing it, uh, for me, one of the bigger hurdles that I've noticed for art photography is that people assume that photography is one thing, and you judge photography by one set of criteria, which is how um, how much it clo- how closely it resembles to what you would have seen if you would have been there with a photographer. And art is is. A departure from that art is is personal, it's subjective. Uh, so for me, it's very important to make that distinction because I don't want people looking at my photographs and look at look for. Places look for, you know, camera techniques, look for things that have nothing to do with my reasons for creating that image. Uh, I want to kind of set the mindset that, hey, if you look at my photographs, try to figure out what I'm trying to make you feel, what I want you to feel, what I want you to get from the photograph. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, I think for most people, it's a natural tendency. You see something that's attractive to you and you want to know about it. You want to know where it is, what it is, especially with abstract photography. You want to know what you're looking at. Uh, and I kind of hope that uh, more call it sophisticated audiences uh, can learn to transcend that um, and you know in any other form of art that's kind of a given you know you look at a painting you don't start looking at a painting with an expectation that that's something that you would have seen or a sculpture or anything else uh, but in photography there's this implied expectation that there's something real behind it uh, but that something real that's behind it that was used to create it is not necessarily what it's about um, and I think that that's an important thing kind of to set the mindset of, you know, when you look at my photographs, I hope that you would consider them in that light.
0: Have you always been artistic even growing up
1: in Israel? No, not at all. Actually, I haven't had almost any exposure to art, uh, in my younger years. Uh, I never even learned to play a musical instrument. It was just some, uh, passion that evolved in time. Uh, I mean, I can give you this very convoluted story, but, um, No, I think for me, it's just my desire to always want to do more and dig more and look for more complex and nuanced ways of doing things that I sort of discovered the art that was possible and what art actually meant and why you would want to pursue it.
0: Well, when you did discover that, since you weren't artistic growing up, was that almost like breaking into this new realm in your mind?
1: Uh it's a that's a complicated question uh if if I started uh, listing all the realms in my mind, we're gonna be here for a while but it, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it played to my nature. I have a lot of very diverse interests and you know every time something catches my attention, I get very obsessive about it. I just want to dig in as deep as I possibly can go and beyond if I can. So uh, yeah, for me, it was just something that, you know, my brain just kind of latched onto. It's like, Hey, I can do this. And Hey, I can do this. And hey all these other people said that you could get that kind of experience or that kind of thing from photography. And I want to see if I could get that too and what I have to contribute, uh, not just in repeating what other people said or did, but what, what can I add on top of it? What can I do to, to make it something that is, representative of, of the unique personality that I am um, and that's for me has always been very important is that creative aspect of it you know it's not just the practice of photography uh, as a medium not not just the, the creation of aesthetic objects it was the that creative experience for me is, is that ultimate high of photography where where I can produce something that nobody else has thought about before that nobody else has done before and of course it's it's a matter of degree but um, for me that's the satisfying part of it
0: Well, what about the thoughts and feelings connection that you have since the artistic kind of just came and you ran with it? Did it take you a while to relate what you felt at the moment to whatever you were photographing?
1: Uh, I would say the short answer is yes. The longer answer is it took a while for me to realize what I'm doing. I think I've been doing it subconsciously for a while before I was conscious of what I was doing because I was always looking for new and different things to do. Uh, and then I realized, you know, some photographs don't just look different. They feel different. And that kind of ignited in my mind that idea that, uh, you know, Alfred Stieglitz was called the equivalent of, of having a photograph that can arouse the, the feelings, the thoughts, the sensations, uh, that the photographer had uh, and communicate them visually in some some odd way. You know, it's not, like, it's not like spoken language where I can describe to you very specifically what I want you to feel is I have to imply it somehow uh, using visuals. Um, and that, that became another passion of mine is I call it the visual language is how to express things visually beyond just what something looked like.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you just throw out quotes like that I feel like all the time I was reading through your blog and before every single article that you wrote out on your blog, you had an extensive thought-provoking quote. I mean, how do you relate those things into your creativity?
1: Uh, well, I read a lot. Uh, and for a while, I would just read and kind of assimilate the ideas and forget about it. And then I realized, you know, some people have just said things so well uh, that it was worth keeping track of it, keeping a record of it. And so I just ended up with just this huge trove of things that I wanted to keep from different things that I've read. Uh, and and I think somebody recently asked me that on my blog. And I said, well, it's not really uh, it's not really formula. That it's not that I look for you know, some some meaningful saying and then I relate that to a photograph or to an experience. Sometimes it's the exact other way around where I would be having something or experience some experiencing something or seeing something. And it'll pop into my head, you know, yeah, I remember reading such and such, said something similar to that along those lines, and I would go and look it up to find out that phrasing. And sometimes that phrasing is just so so pithy, you know, that it, it just fits perfectly.
0: Last book you read was what?
1: Well, something deeply hidden by Sean Carroll.
0: Okay. And what is it about?
1: It's about uh, quantum physics. Uh, I don't know how much you know about quantum mechanics. It's it's the most precise science that humanity has ever created, and it completely defies anything that we consider as common sense. Uh, and there's different schools of thought about how to interpret what it means, what what the, the mathematics of it are saying. And the, the most common or one of the very common school of thought is called the, the Copenhagen interpre- interpretation, which pretty much says just run the numbers and assume that, you know, reality – is what you perceive it to be, and that quantum mechanics is a tool to help you understand it. Uh, but then, problem is the mathematics can also imply things that are considerably beyond our experience. Um, and so Sean Carroll talks specifically about a, an interpretation of uh, quantum physics that's uh, named after Hugh Everett. It's called the many worlds theory, uh, which I think is fascinating. But you know, I can talk about that for a while. It has nothing to do with photography.
0: <laughs> well, how'd you pick that topic though?
1: Uh, well, that's another one of those things where my mind just get hooked, gets hooked on something, and I just have to read and find out everything that I can about it because it fascinates me. So, yeah, quantum physics, neuroscience, visual perception I have a long list of these things. But it's just what once I get hooked on it, I just read everything I can find.
0: At what point do you get bored with that and move on to the next thing?
1: Um, I think when it gets repetitive, when I feel like I have a decent handle on it and, and you know I keep reading and I can't find much new to, to uh, learn about it or think about it, um, then usually I just lose interest.
0: When I was reading through your blog, I, I really found your description of familiarity with landscapes to be really resonating with me uh, and got me thinking a lot differently about Relationships and feelings and emotions that I had towards that, instead of the practice that is photography. When did you come up with that relationship thought?
1: Uh, that that was one of the few things for me. That was you know one of those uh, you know thunderstruck realizations. Is uh, I I grew up in Israel, uh, which. Uh, I don't know, maybe some people know, it's, it's a place that's very much rooted in the, the, the history and the relationship to the physical land that it exists on. Uh, but, you know, being this introverted, shy shy kid that whole time and uh, having being in odds with some of the, the politics of the place, I just never found that connection, you know, and, and it was – odd to me because I always felt like I was a nomad. You know, I, I just liked natural beauty. I didn't really care much about the politics of the place. I didn't really care much about, you know, myths and, and, and social constructs and the human condition. I mean, those are things that I, for me are more casual interests. Uh, and then I came to the U S uh, actually I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Um, part of growing up in Israel is, uh, that you have to do a mandatory military service. And, um, during my service, uh, we were at Golan Heights once and uh, I ran into a, a book that I found really interesting and it happened to have been uh, Desert Solitaire by Ed Abbey uh, just by complete coincidence I came across it and I read it and I really enjoyed it I think I even read it a couple of times because I was bored and it just took me to these other beautiful places um, and then years later uh, during the internet boom in the mid late 90s um, I got a job working in California at Silicon Valley and I uh, <clears throat> I completed a project, and I had a little time on my hands, and I sort of remembered that book by Abby that I read a long time ago, and I thought, hey, I should go look at these places and finally see them with my own eyes. Uh, and for me, that was that was love at first sight. It's like, for me, living this whole time, I was 26, 27 at the time, uh, thinking, you know, I'm not really tied to any piece of terrain. I just love the world, the natural world, and all of a sudden to be in a place that just felt so vividly like this is where i belong it's like it's not a place that i'm seeing for the first time it's a place that felt like i've been there before like i've returned to it after this long absence and i was completely unprepared for that um and from there you know another 10-year journey to actually coming to to live here and work here uh but you know I, i got obsessive about it and uh went through the usual trial of uh Career and then uh, urban living, and uh, it just never connected with me. And just, the the place just got under my skin. Every time I had free time, I I came out here to explore some more. And you know, I pretty much exhausted the national parks the first few trips that I came in. And I decided I wanted to see some of the, the backcountry, the unexplored places. And I just I just started exploring a lot more earnestly and deliberately. And then as far as I could possibly go, and the more I saw, the more fascinated I become. Uh, and finally, I just knew I. I, I had to live here. I had to be here. I had to be, not, not just have this be part of my story, but I wanted to be part of the story of the place. Um, and that became a, another, another, another one of those important themes in my photography, because you know I have no interest in going to, to Iceland or any other place just because it's visually beautiful. I, I need that connection, that relationship. Because once I've experienced it, I realized how much more meaningful everything is, including photography. Uh, and so that that became you know most of my work 99 percent of it is within a hundred miles of my house.
0: Yeah, but I think that thought process though can help a lot of people listening. I mean, just in the few minutes that I was pondering it after I read it, you know, I relate it back to the Smoky Mountains, which is where I go shoot a lot, and you know, all the feelings that I have and emotions of thinking about shooting there, frustration, um, you know, elation, joy, gratitude, even down to like anger doesn't necessarily come into photography, but it's maybe confusion about what the landscape is communicating through the weather or through the light that's going on. And I just think that it can help a lot of people untap that emotion side of it because you know I don't I don't know what what your experience is talking with a lot of people but I see a lot of people going with you know bucket lists of places that they want to go see and, and they just miss so much that's within a three hour drive of, of where they are.
1: Yeah, and and I I sincerely I try to discourage that kind of thinking because I think it's ultimately self defeating, uh. Because like I said, you, you get a very superficial impression. A, B, you're not being creative because you're pretty much photographing your preconceptions. Uh, I mean, how, how could you possibly know how you would feel being there at a particular time in a particular place until you're actually there? Um, so I I'd like to encourage people to just just go, you know, go to a place that that speaks to you, a place that is meaningful to you and just see what happens, just respond to things and, and try to channel some of you know the more meaningful uh, experiences into, into photographs or writings or whatever your creative medium is. Uh, and that's another thing is I don't want to, I don't want to specifically call out photography as being you know better suited to this than anything else nor that photography is the most important thing in the world but I think it's important to have something whatever it is that is that important to you because that kind of helps you relate to the world in, in more meaningful and in deeper ways. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, what's up guys real quick I just want to pause and tell you about some of the photography courses that I have on my website at davidjohnstonart.com and I just want to tell you they range from anywhere from a quick editing session that's like 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes long that costs somewhere in between 10 to 15 dollars really cheap all the way to some pretty advanced courses that go from Infield workflow to post processing that can last a couple to a few hours. And that can be anything from like panoramas to techniques and post-processing and Lightroom and Photoshop and even Luminar. So I really want to encourage you to explore those courses. And right now for a limited time, all the courses on my website are 33% off if you go to davidjohnstonart.com, find those. And in the checkout portion, if you just insert the code DAVID33 during checkout, you can find that discount there. So go ahead and check those out if you're interested in improving your photography and stepping up your game in the field or in post-processing. You know, you you talk a lot on your website about how you see the landscape in an emotional connection. How do you think the landscape then sees you as a photographer?
1: Uh, Well, I guess... Have to, we'd have to figure out what, what that means in terms of the landscape because the, the, this place. I mean, when you think about the the human history of particularly this place that that I'm a part of now, it goes back eleven, maybe twelve thousand years, uh, which might seem like a long time, but in the history of the place, it's barely even a footnote, right? I mean, I'm looking. Uh, there's some vantage points where I can sit and, and look at three, four hundred million years, or so even more of of uh, of uh, natural uh, evolutions, of geologic forces, of things at play that, you know, just make my existence seem completely insignificant. Uh, so I think it would be presumptuous of me to say that I mean anything at all to this place. Uh, but when I'm there in the presence of other life, you know, uh, I am I, very cautious to become part of that community, to not go in there you know, with an extractive mindset and not say, you know, I'm just going to go in there and uh, quote-unquote get the shot uh, and go away and not care about anything else. It's I, I want to be part of the story. I want to make sure that you know I don't have a detrimental effect on the place, on the things that live in it, on the people that live in it, um, on the, the natural and human history of it. So it's just become more of a symbiotic relationship where it seems like the more I care about the place, the more the place gives back to me in terms of, you know, being, being a sanctuary, being a place where I'm comfortable, being a place that, that feels meaningful, that elevates my experience. So that, that those are the things that I get back from relating to the place in that way.
0: Is learning that history of a place important for your creativity and, and how you compose a shot?
1: Uh, yes, very much. Because I think for me, <clears throat> you know, one of the more important things for me is I, I don't want to photograph things just because they're aesthetically attractive. I want to photograph things because they're meaningful to me, and the more I know about them, the more meaningful they become. So, you know, looking at a chunk of rock, you know, yeah, it has interesting lines, interesting patterns, whatever, interesting colors. Uh, but when I look at this piece of rock, and I'm just thinking, what has this rock been through? You know, it might be a, whatever a piece of, you know, some really ancient rock that's been sitting there, or a lair that's been sitting there for half a billion years, when this place was a jungle, or when this place was a, was a sea bottom, or when this place was a river drainage. Uh, and suddenly, I get all these stories. I can I can play in my mind <clears throat> the the evolution of how it came to be, what it is, why does it look the way that it does today. And so there's there's stories everywhere, and these stories help me put my own thread into that larger context. <laughs>
0: Where do you start, though, when you start researching place and history?
1: Um, Well, usually I start with experiences. I see things and anything that I'm curious about, which is usually a lot. I try to figure out, you know, so I want to know the names of the plants and the animals. I want to know the, the geologic history. What, what kind of rocks are there? What happened to them? How were they formed? Uh, how did this place come to be? What is it I'm looking at? Am I looking at, you know, volcanic rock that spilled over here 2 million years ago? Or am I looking at sandstone that was created here 200 million years ago? Uh, and what happened then? it's like I'm looking at... A chunk of sandstone and like the sandstone was created from a sand dune that was here not too far from here you know there were dinosaurs walking at the time that this was a sandstone a, a sand dune so i, I just i just re, i just try to reconstruct as much as i can from knowledge and and research as much as i can to gain that knowledge uh and then my brain just kind of naturally fills in a lot of blanks of what, what would it have felt like to be there to experience this well what was the world like at the time that this rock was created and what happened to this rock since then uh and i'm saying rock but you know it could be anything it could be a tree it could be a plant it could be a an animal um so yeah for me it's just a it's a, it's a passion for me to 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 know I, I enjoy knowing things
0: is writing on your blog uh, another creative outlet for you because you're very good at it
1: uh well thank you um yes very much uh yeah, I think, I think photography and writing for me are, are complementary things where photography is more pointed outward. you know, It's just how do I relate to things that I see and feel and touch and experience. And writing is more digging up things from within. It's like I feel a certain way. Why do I feel this way? How does it relate to other past experiences, subjective experiences that I had? So they're almost like looking in two opposite directions from the same vantage point.
0: Does it help you direct an emotion, or I don't want to say motive, um, maybe a meaning to a photograph?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, in a way, they kind of feed off each other. It's, it's all comes down to just this natural curiosity that I have, not, not just to understand what I'm what I'm looking at, what I, what the. the, the sensory input is from from my surrounding but also why i respond to it in the way that i do Uh, and the two of them put together helped me accomplish that self-expressive goal because i don't want to just express what something looked like because anybody who was there would know what it looked like but i want to also express what it felt to me and that's a much more complex thing because how i feel about it is not only a function of what i'm looking at it's also a function of you know my, my mood at that point what i've experienced up to that point all, all of my uh, sensibilities my beliefs my philosophies everything that i am connects with something outside of me and that synergy is, is what i'd like to express in my photographs
0: well the reason i ask guys just because you know what what does it mean to you that people will look at your images and relate their own emotion or their own meaning and something they're going through in their life to an image of yours that they see?
1: Uh, well, for starters, I think it's inevitable. You know, where we're each... You know, that the experience of the person at the time and, and context that they see my photo is going to be very different from the context that I've made that photo. But at the same time, there's a lot of commonalities that can be expressed visually. And I, and I say this both as an artist and as, as someone who enjoys studying the science of it, of visual perception, of visual expression, uh, which which is fascinating to me. Uh, so there's some things that I, I know, at least a majority of people that would look at a photograph will experience. But I also know that there's always going to be this. Sub- objective factor so uh, visual expression is is always going to be a lot more ambiguous than than words um so i i just accept that and for me it's just it's interesting for me to see how different people respond to to my photographs you know i I like to say you know at least at a high percentage i think people get what i try to express but every now and then someone would say something that uh catches me by surprise and then it kind of ignites another thread. like, well, why do they feel that way? Why did they interpret it that way? Uh, and it can be a conversation piece or it can, you know, kind of prompt me to, to do a little more digging and research and find out, you know, what about it that I didn't know would elicit that kind of feeling and build up my expressive vocabulary in this way.
0: Mm, that, that piqued my interest. What is the science of visual expression?
1: Uh, well, it, it's actually in several sciences. Um, there's, uh, some of it is in psychology, things like uh, Gestalt psychology, for example, uh, that, that uh, there's a lot of experiments that, that look to understand you know, how different visual stimuli, what kind of response they elicit. Uh, and, and some of it is, is very, uh, it, it's, it's not intuitive. You, know, you can make people feel something without them knowing why they feel it. Uh more recently, it comes from uh, neuroscience. There's a science called neuroaesthetics, which looks at the, the neurological uh, foundation, what the brain does when you experience art. And it's a very, very new science. There's very little known about it, uh, which makes it even more interesting because there's new new facts, new, new ideas, new knowledge that comes out all the time. And somewhere in between, there's even things like evolutionary biology, for example. Um, you know, I know that people respond differently to something that is red than to something that is blue. And there's an evolutionary explanation to that. Something that is red you know, could be dangerous, could be edible. There's reason to pay more attention to it. And something that's blue is not going to jump up and bite you. So it's not worth paying as much attention to it. And you can see that reflected even in our physiology and the colors that we see and how our visual system is built up. Uh, so, yeah, there's actually a lot of science behind that.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So you're saying red kind of triggers that fight or flight.
1: Uh, it's more likely to elicit a stronger response uh, than 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 something that's blue. But for example, our eyes have a lot more receptors for green, uh, fewer receptors for red, and very few receptors for blue. Which means that we're capable of distinguishing a lot more shades of green than red and blue. And that also has an evolutionary foundation because our ancestors evolved in green leafy environments and they had to distinguish, you know, fruit on trees and things that hide in the bushes and things like that. So a lot of it's reflected in how our brain, how our visual system works.
0: What does it say about colorblind?
1: Uh, Well, colorblind, you know, I'm going to use a a word that uh, might have a, a, uh, A negative effect that I don't mean, but colorblindness is is a a defect in the visual system. It's something that the the visual system can't do, something that a healthy visual system would do. Uh, But I'm I'm not colorblind myself, but I would imagine that it very much influences your perceptions of the world because uh, colors have very, very strong emotional correlates. And if you see color differently than other people, then this would affect uh, your emotional response to things.
0: So when you're creating an image, how much does color um the science of visual expression go into how you are creating the lines, the backgrounds, the foregrounds? How does it all intertwine?
1: Uh well, when I learn something new that I realize I can use in 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 designing, and creating photographs, then I would go out and I would consciously and deliberately practice it to see how I can put it to use and how effective it is. Uh, and. If it's something that, you know, quote unquote works, uh, then I will end up practicing it so much that it would eventually become intuitive. So I don't think about it consciously. I just know, Hey, this is, this is the mood. This is the impression that I want my photograph to have. And intuitively I would know, well, I would need to use these particular elements. And later on, I would need to, you know, maybe saturate these yellows a little bit more or desaturate these blues a little bit just to create that, that blend that best expresses that mood that I want.
0: Do you find that difficult to teach?
1: Uh, not at all. Uh, I would think it's a lot more difficult to learn than to teach because the teaching is, <laughs> <laughs> if you know the material and if, and if you can explain it in, in a way that, that makes rational sense, uh, then it's not that difficult to teach. But, uh, it's, it's retaining the information, especially when it's something that's new and unexpected on, you know, on a workshop, uh, on, usually on the workshops that I do with, uh, with Michael Gordon, uh, and others, uh, I, we often start with a really long, you know, three, four hour session that covers a lot of this because I want people to have that as a foundation as we go into the workshop. And I would guess they may retain, I mean, obviously they take notes, I hope, and that might have, be helpful for them in the long run. But uh I, I don't think they retain retain more than maybe 10%, but it's somewhere in the back of the mind. So when we encounter a situation or when we talk about a particular photograph, I can remind them of something. It's like, oh yeah, I remember we talked about this. And then it exercises that memory and makes it a little more accessible to them.
0: On your blog, I went way, way back. I read a, an old article you wrote about Zen in the Landscape. Uh, even referring to you know Zen can be detached from Zen Buddhism things like that. You refer to landscapes as, as temples and sanctuary. Are are you a religious person in that sense?
1: Uh, no, and I think this is really a matter of of, uh, of well no is the short answer. But there's a much longer answer than that because you know that this this uh, area of, of religion and spirituality and emotional emotional. I guess a, a relation to to some existence beyond beyond the, the visceral, beyond the sensory. Uh, I think that is a much more complex topic than just you know I go to church or I do this or that. Uh, so no, I'm not a member mm-hmm. of any religion, uh, but I do I do read a lot a lot of philosophy. That's one of my favorite topics. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely would call myself a, I'm a very emotional person, and I would call myself a I, I hate to use words like spiritual, but I do have that very strong, powerful, emotional connection to places where I actually look for that, that sense of awe uh, that would be familiar, you know, to people who have had what you might call religious experiences, except I, I don't link it in my mind to any particular religious doctrine. Uh, but in terms of experience, I think I'm pretty pretty familiar with that.
0: I just didn't, I wanted to ask that question just because of your background in israel you know it can be such a point of interest for so many world religions
1: uh, well, the Judeo-Christian religions obviously uh, you know, started there, originated there, but uh, I think I think for me that's just one of those things that for me is almost like an annoyance because I tell people I'm from Israel, they they assume two things: a) they assume that I'm Jewish and I've <laughs> never practiced Judaism in my life, uh, and b) they assume that I'm a big fan of of Israel, which uh, is it's a lot more nuanced than that to say the least. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I've 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 had exposure to a lot of uh, uh, well, how you to put it uh, re- religion related uh, uh, schooling knowledge and seeing how they unfold in, in reality and uh, some of it's good and some of it is not so good
0: do you see yourself as a leader in philosophy and ideology and photography
1: uh well actually no i, I kind of have an issue with it, the the leadership part because I'm such a a recluse and an individualist that I I don't want people to follow me. (laughs) But uh, in terms of of thought, uh, I do have a lot of ideas that have been very uh, important and meaningful to me. And I like sharing those ideas, hoping that they would lead people to maybe expand their understanding or or gain a sense of meaning that they didn't have before. Uh, So yeah, I actually, because I enjoy studying it and thinking about it and trying to come up with ideas and also it's a great way for me to put my ideas out there and see if they hold water. If people can poke holes in them, that's important to me, too. So, yeah, in terms of leading by by sense of, you know, uh, having people follow me, uh, that, that part of leadership doesn't interest in me much. But having people interested in the same things that I do uh, is, is very interesting to me.
0: So you embrace that feedback i don't want to say pushback but feedback on new ideas that you have new ideologies or philosophies you have
1: yeah very much and and actually there's a few things that i i'm very uh i'm not a typical person as a, as a one is I'm, I'm not competitive at all i don't i don't need to compare myself to anyone in anything i'm just content uh you know pursuing things on my own uh and and uh the other thing is I, i'm extremely rational and by this i mean that i'm not i'm not married to ideas if, if you give me a better explanation for something than the explanation i already have i change my mind uh, i'm not invested in these ideas in themselves
0: if you're not married to ideas what are you married
1: to uh i think uh, the the living experience for me and i know that's a that's a huge uh, a huge uh, generalization but for me it's just a the experiences of living, because all things considered, we barely get a blink of time as, as conscious beings on this planet, and uh, I I I think that it's at least I know it was very important to me to know that I'm, I'm making the most of this time, uh, and that include taking some pretty significant risks in life. That include making some very profound changes and transitions in my life uh, so yeah those are the things that, that drive drive me through life
0: where can people go to find more about you
1: uh my website guy
0: awesome well he's guy Tal. thank you so much for joining us guy i really appreciate the conversation and the insight into new ideas about photography
1: well thank you very much david it was a pleasure.